What up, y'all? It's your girl, Willow Bean, and welcome to another episode of the New Teacher Bootcamp Podcast, where I am your host. This is going to be a safe space for new and veteran teachers to learn from my mistakes as an educator. Before we get into the episode, this episode is sponsored by yours truly, Willow Bean, the author of the children's book, When I Tell Them I'm From Petersburg, an autobiography of my life and the perceptions people have of me when I tell them I was born and raised in Petersburg, Virginia. Don't forget to get your copy today. The link is in the description below. Now let's get down to business. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, share, shoot, child, tell somebody. Okay, no, but seriously, let's get into our topic. So our topic today is rules of engagement. We're talking about how we're going to walk into the first day of work with our students. I got three points I want to get to, and I promise you, I won't be before you long. I was told a long time ago. When we stay on here too long, we get the line because we run out of stuff to say. So to avoid that, I'm just going to shoot straight from the hip. So let's get to it. First things first, from the first day of school, from the first day of getting your students, from the first class that you had, whether it's middle school, high school, college, whatever, from the very first class, you're going to build community by leading with expectations. This means setting healthy boundaries. Remember in our last episode, we talked about rules and consequences. This right here is going to be your bread and butter. It's going to allow you to set up an atmosphere in your classroom where kids know what you expect, but you hold them accountable to what you expect. Simply put, if you said no talking while you're giving instruction, call them out. I mean, be respectful, of course. Don't be like, I'm calling you out. It's more like, hey, this is just a reminder for everyone to please stop talking while I'm giving instruction. As the year goes on, you're going to have to put a little bit more force behind that. But initially, day one, you don't want to be anybody but yourself. So given the circumstances, I know a lot of new teachers have never done this before because student teaching is not the same as having your own class. There's no one there to support you. When you get into day one, don't go on with the mindset of these kids are bad because I know some of y'all be working at some hard to staff schools where you've probably heard about the behavior of the kids. Please, please, please remember they're still children. Yes, we want to set those healthy boundaries, but remember, they are still children. They're going to do dumb stuff. It's going to get on your nerves, but they are still children. The purpose of building community in your classroom is so that your kids are comfortable with being themselves as well as you being yourself while y'all co-create the learning experience. Okay? So let's move on to how we're going to do that. Step two, build rapport with parents and students through clear communication, non-threatening body language, and active listening. So let's break that down piece by piece. When it's just you and your students, you want your communication to be clear. For example, if I'm giving instruction, I always ask, are there any questions? I, nine times out of 10, believe I've delivered it perfectly, but I never want to be so arrogant that I forget I don't talk on a child's level. I'm getting my doctorate. I know I'm probably going to use words and I try not to. I'm going to use words that they don't understand. So I want to make sure whatever I'm saying in the lesson they understand what to do and how to edu- uh, execute it. The same thing for parents. If I'm sending out a parent information form or a parent email, which is what I do at the beginning of the year, I'm always introducing myself. Hi, my name is Coach Johnson. I'm your child's health and PE teacher for this year. We have a, a couple of exciting things going on. And, you know, I list the bullet points and I tell them, feel free to contact me at any time. Looking forward to a great year. Ooh, we should definitely go through some role play situations where we can talk through some things. All right, I'm going to say that for the next episode or maybe later in this episode. All right, hold on. Let me focus. 
when you're building rapport also, especially so the communication piece can be digital. So that's like the weekly emails you send out. It could be what you put in your canvas, a blackboard page to your students. It could be even the stuff that you write on the board, as, um, like your get started now activities. You just want it to be clear. And if there's questions, definitely leave room for those questions. The next thing, non-threatening body language. This is hard for me because one, I'm six feet tall. I'm taller than most of my students, most of the teachers. I'm a literal anomaly in my building. However, I have taken into account what my students have said to me. First things first, middle schoolers have no filter. So what I'm about to say next, please don't be surprised as this is just how they talk. I remember talking to a group of my students and one student said, Coach Johnson, you just mean all the time. And another student was like, she not mean, she just mean business. And it made me wonder why that student would say I'm mean. I had to think about it. You are six feet tall, so you're taller than everybody in the building, most people in the building. But it's my facial expressions. Now, look, I tried to hold in what I'm thinking, but I ain't gonna lie. My facial expressions speak out loud often and get me in trouble. And what I noticed was, regardless of how much I changed my tone or softened my language or used different words, if my eyebrows did the frowny thing, my students were not trying to talk to me, trying to express what's going on with them or anything like that. And it was very threatening to them because they're like, man, here we go. We got this giant woman with a frowny face. She mad with me. I really don't get mad with the students. <laughs> I mean, they do dumb stuff, but I don't really get mad with them because I know that's just how they are. Again, speaking specifically to middle school, I know that's just how they are. Even on the elementary level, they supposed to be a little whiny and want your help and want your attention. That's just how they are. Even as they get older, high school and on the college level, they're supposed to be a little arrogant and, and think they can now teach you in your own classroom or be ready for a debate. But again, as the educator, as the one in control of the classroom, as the teacher, we have to remember that we don't want kids to feel threatened in our classroom because school's supposed to be a safe space. That's why they have so many anti-bullying campaigns and positive body image campaigns and being yourself campaigns. It's hard for a child, and I think I talked about this in the last episode, it's hard for the children of this generation to truly be themselves because they're trying so hard to get everything right the first time. And we already know as educators, if you're not making mistakes, you're not learning. But for most of them, it's hard for them to visualize themselves in a place or space where they're doing good and not fumbling the ball or stumbling over a word or things like that. So when it comes to my non-threatening body language, whatever's going on in my classroom, and I'll give a good example. I have a lot of kids who can't read on grade level, and it's absolutely fine. I encourage them to do their best they can, and if they get stuck, I help them. Problem is, they would never trust me to help them if they assume that I'm always angry with them. And I'm sure they associated, you know, my Friday eyebrows with whatever was going on in the home. I'm not that person. But we as teachers have to show them better than we can tell them who we are because children believe our actions, not always our words. Because again, society can be cruel. Some of their living situations are not the best. And someone can say one thing and do another, but we're probably the most consistent thing they're going to see with that constant for them. So that's, that's that. I'm going to put a period there on non-threatening their body language. So I'm sure I can go on and on and on. But the most important thing right now that I want to talk about is active listening. Most people, this is most people, especially grown folks, you know, calling us out because I do it too. We say we're listening, excuse me, over hearing the other person. 
But the reality is we just waiting for our turn to talk. We we haven't we haven't heard anything that they gotta say. For one, we really probably ain't even interested because we want to be heard. We want our feelings to be validated. We want them to know. We want them, we know, we want to see that they understand how we feel. And sometimes it doesn't go down like that. You really have to be actively actively listening. So an example would be my sister and I, we live together. And the first couple years we lived together, it was rough because we had trouble communicating. And I had to get to a place, shout out to Lisa Nichols. She said in one of her episodes that when someone's talking to you to prove that you're actively listening, repeat back to them to confirm that's what they said and not what you think you heard. And those right there, I'm trying to tell you, we're lifesavers. I can tell you about students who have come to me in confidence, of course, told me flat out, Coach John said, I I don't like PE because they had like a social anxiety. And I understood that. I understood it. And I would ask, uh, clarify questions. Um, Is it getting changed in the locker room to make sure uncomfortable? Is it doing the activity in front of your peers? Is it just a discomfort of being in such a large space and so many people? I would dig a little deeper, but not so much so that they felt like I was prying. I just wanted just a little bit of clarity. And for most cases, it was that social anxiety or I just hate PE. But actively listening and figuring out what it is they're trying to say helped me improve on how I deliver things. Again, everyone wants to be heard, but only a few people actually listen. It is our job as a teacher to listen. Now, there is a caveat to this because this can be situational. You'll have kids who just, when I say want to be heard, you'll say, well, how was everybody's weekend? Specifically for elementary, everybody's going to want to share their story and tell you how their day was and what they did this weekend. I had ice cream. We went to a cookout and I went to the music park. There is a limit to that. Again, setting that boundary of, yes, we want to be actively listening, but not so much so that it strays us away from the point we're trying to make. If it's in the middle of instruction and we're answering questions toward the end after giving instruction and they go on, you know, a little soapbox about something that's completely unrelated, thank them kindly, but we want to get back to our activity. This is not being mean, but with the constraints of following the pace in God, and we'll get into that later or maybe even another episode, it gets tough trying to do all the things we think we're going to get done in a timely manner. So remember, with building rapport, we want to make sure we're communicating clearly. We have that non-threatening body language and we're actively listening. Last but not least, I got to bring it up. Consistency. We have to be consistent. I said it early in this episode. We're probably the, the constant for most kids, especially if you work at a hard to staff school where Kids have tough home lives. We're there constant. They expect to see us. You know what? Even those who don't have tough home lives, they expect to see us. They expect to see us at the school because nine times out of the time, kids believe that we live at the school. Because <laughs> they just, I mean, that's where they see us and that's where they know us from. So to see us like at a sales club or a Walmart or a Target is baffling to them. Because they're like, don't you live at the school? It's like, no, I just work there. When we talk about being consistent, we're talking about don't one day say, you can talk while I'm talking and then the next day scold the kid because they're talking while you're talking. Or if you tell everybody uh, we're going to play um, a review game, but you can use only these following movements. You can either stand up, sit down, clap or do arm circles. And then you get one kid who stands up and run around the room. 
if you don't call that kid out, and again, this is a non-threatening kind of call them out, let's say address, because I don't want calling them out to sound like, hey, you, get over here. That's not what I mean by that. When I say address the student, which is what I probably should switch over to, you want to address the student because if you don't, that behavior will continue and they're going to think it's okay. I already mentioned I got kids that like to try me often, which is fine because I got a solution for every trying situation. But as a new teacher, I didn't. Prime example, first year teaching, I'll never forget. I had probably the worst teaching experience on earth. It was my first year. I was in elementary school, so I was part of the resource team. You know, as you get to middle school and high school, it's called the electives group. But I was in the resource team, so it was myself as PE, a music teacher, an art teacher, and a librarian. By October, our librarian had quit. And this was our team lead, quit. Couldn't take it anymore, kids too bad, I just can't do it, quit. By January, our first music teacher quit. He wanted to be on the middle school level. I respect it. Elementary ain't for everybody. Quit after Christmas break, winter break in January. As we're returning to school, he gone out there. Art teacher quit April, right before testing. And we had just myself and the second music teacher trying to take care of a whole grade level. And mind you, some of those grade levels had about five classes of kids. Making sure they had their time because teachers need their planning time. Working at a hard to staff school is no joke. But I tell you this, I learned so much, which is why I'm starting with this right here about how you go into day one. Some people say how you do some things is how you do all things. That's not true because how I coach basketball is not how I teach. Well, maybe a little bit how I teach because I always try to meet kids where they are. Big picture, though. If we're not setting our expectations from day one, you know, building that rapport and being consistent, it doesn't matter what else we do in our classroom. Because one, kids can spot a fake. And most parents will believe their kids before they believe the teacher, which is why I like to lead with clear communication. If I'm having an issue with a kid, I want to make sure I address it. If I have to send out a message to the parent, call the parent, I want to make sure it is addressed. Because I promise you, if a, if a child goes home, and says something happened to them in, in my class and a parent approaches me and I don't have a, a response or a rebuttal or anything like that, I'm telling you now, parents will get irate. And what comes to mind right now, I taught a set of twins. I only had one of the twins. So one of the twins, they're both baseball players. So I had one of the twins in my class, good kid overall, goofy like most seventh graders, but him and one of his buddies, you know, took a little a little too far and he got offended. Not once did he bring it to my attention. He waited till he got home. He told his mom, you know, I raised my hand, but, you know, I guess Coach Johnson just didn't see me. So I'm getting this long email about something I have no clue what they're talking about. Come to find out, one of his friends had wiped blood on him. I guess he was picking a scab, white blood on him. And he was raising his hand to go to the bathroom. Me being who I am, I pull a kid aside to ask what happened because I was completely clueless. He never once said anything. He never approached my desk because I give my students liberty. If I'm not paying attention, if I'm doing something on the computer or helping another student, you can come up to my desk. That's not a problem at all. Because I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I got a 
class of 36. I might miss a raised hand. It's not intentional. It's not. It's definitely not on purpose. But I want my classroom to be a safe space. I talked to the student. And he said, well, yeah, you know, he like rubbed blood on me and I just wanted to go wash my hands. You know, his mom, who the message she sent me, she was going in. You know, this is very disgusting. It's very inappropriate. It's unhygienic, so on and so on and so forth. And I politely just explained to her, I apologize completely for the misunderstanding. This was never brought to my attention, but I will be sure to address it because it's the kind of teacher that I am. So I know I didn't put that in there, but that's the kind of teacher that I am. If a parent or a child is bringing something to my attention, oh, best believe I'm going to go address it as quickly as possible because I don't want it to linger. I don't, again, everybody wants to be heard. And if I don't address it and follow up with the parent, I'm going to look like now my child is not safe in your space. That's why that, that clear communication is so important. And I know a lot of the stuff I'm talking about today, it's a lot. But I'm telling you now, if you do the work on the front end, as one of my mentors would say, if you do the work on the front end, it's going to work you like a dog. I mean, you, you're going to be exhausted mentally and emotionally and physically from a lot of the stuff you have to do on the front end. But if you do it on the front end, all that work up front, it becomes easier throughout the year because guess what? Now you no longer have to prove that you're consistent in what your expectations are and how you communicate and how you actively listen and how you're setting the environment in your classroom and how you're co-creating the learning experience. It never comes into question again because you have provided proof. This is who I am and what I do. And that's important because there will be children who will lie on your name. And that happens to me this year. I'll never forget one of my basketball girls, not my personal basketball girls, one of the basketball girls at our school. She told a long-term sub that I have put her out of my classroom. Anybody who knows me, Coach Johnson in the building, I would never put a kid out. For what? So you can be in trouble for someone else? No, you you stuck with me. If there's a problem, we can resolve it. And even if you don't like it, you're going to stay in here with me. And if you choose to walk out, I got a solution for that too. I'm calling every parent and or guardian plus an admin to let them know you have chosen to walk out of my class. And I did. I did my part. I wrote the referral. But the story that came back to me was, as I said, Coach Johnson put me in my class. So I came to your class. And I was like, oh, yeah, for real. Uh huh. First, like I said, everybody knows that a lie. That's a lie. I never put kids out. But when it came down to it, the girl just didn't want to be in my class because her and one of her friends were at conflict. I said, that's absolutely fine, but you're not going to lie and say that I put you out. Because number one, when a child is in your in your class, you are the person that is responsible for them. If you put them out and cannot account for where they are, you are in trouble as their teacher. You have to know where your students are at all times so immediately when i could not find her i said this student has walked out from my class i'm not sure where she went to but i wanted to report it to you right away i reported to the seventh grade admin and you know she got on her part to see what was going on i'm telling you that communication piece works it works and it was my saving grace in that situation because like i said i would never put a kid out but when me and that um other teacher conference with the student a very non-threatening situation. We just ask, well, I, why would you lie? I'm the type of teacher, I will basically give you the shirt off my back if that means that I'm setting you up for success. 
And I'm very understanding, very, very understanding because I want my kids to be successful. I'm like, why would you lie? Especially on me. We, we know you, I said, you never once came to me and said, I need to leave class. Um, or I'm stepping out of class. Cause if you tell me where you need to go, I'll see about getting you there in a timely manner. Walking out my class, it's an automatic writer because you're putting me in a situation to have to explain where you are and I don't know. And the student was just like, well, you know, so-and-so and I, we just not friends right now. I said, but that 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 right there did not give you the right to lie on me saying I put you out of class. And then you go to the long-term sub and tell her that I put you out of class in an open space, in a hallway with other people, other teachers, other people of authority in the building to try to make me look bad when I'm the one who always got your back. And for a moment, that student just took into consideration what I was saying. Like, man, I probably messed up. You know what I'm saying? I probably should have done things differently. But let me tell you the truth. Middle schoolers are like that. They're going to think first. I mean, they're going to act first and think later because they do not process it how we do. They don't have that upper level of thinking quite yet. That maturity has not processed in their mind. I'm sure there's a scientific term for it. But they don't have it just yet. So let's recap. From day one, these are our rules of engagement. We want to build community in our classroom by leading with expectations. Tell them what you expect and what you want. Step two, build rapport, talk to them, communicate, watch your body language, actively listen so that they know you care. Oh, that's a good point. So they know you care. And of course, number three, be consistent. Don't be wishy-washy. As my mom would say, you want to be consistent because the kids are there to learn from you. And it's hard to learn from somebody you don't trust, especially when you're already feeling insecure in the classroom. Anywho, I'm running out of time, but those are the three nuggets for today. I'll make sure to put them in the description. And yo, take time to re-listen to this, especially if you're a new teacher. And if you're a veteran teacher, share your story about what you do from day one to set your expectations. But guess what? Because guess what I should say? We're in this together. As I said before, iron sharpens iron and we learn from each other. And I learn best when I learn from other people. And I hope you can do the same with the information that I'm spitting. Anywho, y'all, enjoy the episode. Remember, like, subscribe, review, share, tell somebody. And guess what? I'll see you next week.